Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this series called A New Thing, some teaching classes on biblical characters, New and Old Testament, whom God called to do a new thing. And we're going to see what we learn about them, about God, and what might be relevant for you and me and our local groups. So as you may know, this is all based on that passage in Isaiah 43, where God says to his people, don't consider the former things, those things of old. I am about to do a new thing. And in that context, what about the life of Elijah? Now, if you haven't already done so, you might like to look at the sermon that TJ and myself preached recently. It's going to be online any day now, maybe even by the time you watch this recording. And there you'll get some of the background to what we're going to be talking about today. We're focused on uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, but of course there's a context there of chapter 17 and 18, what Elijah's been up to. Let's think about this incredible prophet. He was a man of God with a, a hugely impressive spiritual CV. For example, he prays and changes the weather. He miraculously supplies a widow with food and raises her son back to life. Uh, he also confronted hundreds, hundreds of sword-wielding false prophets and sees fire rain down from heaven as an answered prayer. So why would someone like Elijah need to do anything new? He's seen it all, he's done it all, he's been there and got the t-shirt. But Elijah is a case study in how God prepares us for something new even when we can look back and see great ways in which God has been working in us, on us, and through us. Something new still awaits. See, at the end of the of his um, false prophet slaughtering conference at Carmel, he receives the equivalent of hate mail. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it says in verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods... Uh, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, like one of the false prophets that have been slaughtered. Hate mail uh, in extreme. And what does Elijah do? How does he respond? He runs for his life. He goes to the wilderness and tries to disappear. Is this the end for Elijah? The once faithful prophet now turned tail. Well, thankfully, not at all. God is not done with him yet. And this is the key point, because however you or me feel about our own usefulness to God or our local group's usefulness to God, God is never done with us. So firstly, let's think about how God opened Elijah up for something new. Now, we haven't got time to do all the detail here in chapter 19, so have a look at it for yourself. But in the wilderness, he's there and he is in despair. And later, he's taken up into a cave on a mountain. And what is God doing here? If you look at the story, we see that first of all, he sends an angel. And the angel does what? The angel touches him. Two different occasions, touches him. There's something very reassuring about the touch of the divine. Because a touch from an angel is as if you have been touched by God, because they are his messengers. We find that God is providing for Elijah uh, physically, materially, you could say, by touching, by conveying his, his warmth and touch. 
by giving him safety. He provides a fire of coals, which is not only to cook on, but also to keep uh, wild animals away and to keep him warm enough, to keep him safe. He provides refreshment in the shape of food and water. He provides refreshment in the shape of, of sleep. He gets to sleep a couple of times here. In other words, he has the space to get refreshed and to recover physically and materially. God provides that just like he provides enough for you and me to cope with this life. You and I have enough energy, enough money, enough material things if we harbor them and use them wisely and if we call on the resources around us to help us. Since we don't have enough in ourselves but our friends, family, people in the church, we can help each other with these things. God provides enough. Maybe not everything we want but he provides enough. And there we find that God provides refreshment and, and preparation, if you like, opening Elijah up for the next chapter of his life by providing experientially. Because what does he do? Up on the mountain, what does God ask him? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 9. He asks him the same question twice. What are you doing here? He is questioning and he is listening. Elijah tells him why he's there. I've been very zealous. The Israelites rejected your covenant. They tore down the altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left now. They're trying to kill me. I mean, some of that's true. Some of that is half true. Some of that actually isn't true anymore. But nonetheless, God listens. And it's interesting that he listens without condemnation. He doesn't interrupt Elijah and say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're not the only one left. Hang on. Uh, you were very zealous, but you're not being very zealous right now. He doesn't interrupt. He gives him the respect to let him speak what he wants to say without judgment, in fact, without any actual comeback or response. He provides a listening ear. How valuable it is that God always has an ear open to whatever it is we need to express, whether it is healthy or not, whether it's even in a sense righteous or not, whether it's faithful or not. He's always there with a listening ear. And secondly, he provides him with experiences of his power, God's power, by providing that incredible wind, the earthquake, and then the fire. I mean, these are powerful experiences of God's power and presence, you could say. It's not what he ultimately needs to notice, but I think it somehow prepares him for when that then quiet voice arrives that speaks to him in a different way. And it's important for us to avail ourselves of all the ways of experiencing God. Sometimes that's through singing hymns and our times of quiet with God. Sometimes that's that being in a church service, worshipping together. Sometimes it's going and standing and looking at a, a sunset. There's a sunset going on outside my window right now. It's beautiful. Looking at a sunset, just observing the birds and the beasts of the air or watching a nature documentary or something about the creation of the world or, or the, the, the enormity of the solar system and the things around that helps us to capture again a sense of awe. What helps you to be in awe of God? I think Elijah here in that cave is now once again in awe of God. He lost that, I think. And now he has it again. And then God speaks to him very quietly. What does it say? A gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. And then God experientially provides that, through that quiet voice, uh, uh, the next stage of the mission and a sense of hope. There is a hope for you, Elijah. And a sense of trust. I trust you, Elijah. You can do this. We're working on this together. We have a partnership, as we do with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, a partnership. It's not all about us. It's about the partnership. It's the partnership where the power is, not in whether you or I are perfect, pure, uh, sinless vessels or something like that. 
And he provides Elijah with great encouragement by telling him, oh, by the way, um, there are 7,000 others down in verse 18. You're not, you're not uh, alone. Verse 18, 7,000 other co-workers available. So he provides experientially. He provides materially. And then we find that Elijah is ready to do what he's been asked to do, which is to anoint Hazael, to anoint Jehu, and to anoint um, Elisha. So those are three things I have for you in mind. So what's happened here with Elijah? Firstly, Elijah has got his perspective back, who God is. That's what he needed to be reminded of. He'd forgotten. He'd lost sight of that. The threats from Jezebel had, you know what it's like when you're really terrified about something, it kind of narrows our vision. And actually, in some ways, that can be helpful to narrow the vision when we need to escape a threat. But the threat that Elijah is worried about is not that much of a threat because God is in the picture here. He'd forgotten who God is, which led him to an, uh, a, 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 a wrong kind of response to the threat that he received. And that happens to you and me. We have the threat of losing a job, the threat of a relationship that's going bad, the threat of uh, our own sin coming back to haunt us. And uh, we've got all these challenges, but we forget God, who he is. So Elijah gets his perspective, his focus back, and that, interestingly, renews his courage. Because what's one of the most amazing things about Eli uh, Elijah, he's an incredibly courageous man. On his own, he confronts all these prophets of Baal. On his own, he confronts effectively Ahab and, and all the, the, uh, the, the monarch's men and army and, and all of his servants, and, and in fact, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. He, he confronts them. And he's able to do that because he's a man of great courage. He loses his courage under the threat of Jezebel, but now he gets his courage back and he acts on this. He gets his priorities right. He, he refreshes his openness to God's agenda for his life instead of his own agenda for his life. So what happens next is that he goes to anoint Elisha. And we won't go into that story today, but he gets on with that first. And he does that before he deals with Hazael and Jehu because he understands that Elisha is more important than the other two. This is my interpretation of what's going on. I think he does, because Elisha is the one to carry on the legacy into the next generation, and if he needs to get him sorted out first. So he gets hold of Elisha, sorts that out, and indeed it's interesting scripturally that uh, we don't have a record of Elijah anointing Hazael or Jehu. Elisha gets involved in both those situations, although a little strangely, you could say, both in Hazael becoming Aram's king in 2 Kings 8 verses 7 to 14, and also one of Elisha's associates anoints Jehu, 2 Kings 9, 1 to 3. You can look those up if you like. And Elijah doesn't deal with all of it directly, but he does the most important thing first is to get Elisha on board and the rest God will sort out. So to wrap up, finding Elisha, anointing him, engaging with him as an apprentice, they were all new things. For Elijah. As far as we know, he hadn't done anything like this before. And before he could get on with this new thing for God with Elisha, before he could do that new thing or any new things, God had to restore his faith, to restore his focus. Then he became open to God's agenda. Elijah responded to those restorations of his faith and focus by recovering that openness to God. And if you and I are going to see God do all that he can through us, it's because we are open to him. And how do we get open to him? We need to restore our focus on him. 
So let me ask you some questions. You can discuss this personally and, and in your group. Do you sense that God has been trying to get your attention like he does with Elijah in the wilderness and on the mountain? Do you get that sense? God has been trying to get your attention, whether it's personally or as a group where you are locally. And secondly, what will help you to regain a healthy focus on God? What are the key things that historically have helped you to stay focused on God, no matter what else is going on in your life or around you? Thirdly, what will help you to refresh your openness to God doing something new in you personally and in your local group? What will refresh your openness? Like, God, I am surrendered. I, I want you to do whatever you want to do with my life, trusting you that it's, it's the right thing. What helps you to be that open? Trusting. And finally, has God spoken to you already, perhaps in a gentle whisper or in some way? Is there something you already know or have a feeling of or a hint of as to what the new thing is for you and your group? Maybe you already have an idea. And if so, what will help you to act on that new thing or those new things? What will support you and motivate you and move you along in the right direction? Well, I hope you find some of these thoughts helpful about Elijah. Next week, we're going to look at the new thing that God called Abraham into. I look forward to catching up with you then. Until then, take care and God bless.